Welcome back to another episode of Let's Face the Facts. I'm your host. My name is David Almeida. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I sit down with an actor or artist friend. We watch an episode of the classic sitcom The Facts of Life. Then I hit record. We talk about the show and lots and lots of other stuff. My guest this week is Brandon Roberts. Brandon is a funny guy, an actor, singer, improviser, producer, writer. He's a particularly skilled physical actor, comedian. He's well known to Orlando Fringe Festival audiences and beyond for the shows that he produces and writes that are all silent shows. Uh, we do discuss it uh, as we talk about him and his career. Thankfully, he wasn't silent during this episode, and we had an awful lot of fun. Brandon and I watched Season 4, Episode 4, The Oldest Living Graduate, and that had an original air date of November 3rd, 1982. Before we start, I do need to welcome my new 2D Fruities, those people who have signed up to become patrons of the show through my Patreon page. I want to welcome to the family Jamie E., Jennifer C., and Kat C., you guys are amazing. Thank you so much. If you, too, wish to become a patron of the show, just head on over to patreon.com slash facethefactspod. So I think we're ready to jump on into this week's show. Let's face the facts with Brandon Roberts. Well, hi. Hello. Welcome, Brandon Roberts. Thanks. I'm thrilled to have you on the show. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> I, I hope you mean that, because this was a, this was a pretty good episode. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's the first episode of Facts of Life I have watched since I was a child. Well, that is, you perfectly allow me to segue. The first thing I always like to ask people before we get started here is, yeah. do you have any relationship with the show? Did you watch it? Was it a thing for you when you were growing up? It was, yes. I have an older sister uh, of two years older than me. Oh. And uh, we, we, that was one of our shows that we watched uh, as a family, and Amy and I loved it. It was an always on the every week. Yeah, yeah. Now, you are a few years younger than me. Maybe I guess better I don't, part of a decade. I don't know if you care about divulging your age. I'm 43. You're okay. I'm 51. Okay. So okay. You're you're really young. <laughs> what year were you born? 76. Well, this came out in 79. You'd have been three. Yeah. Well, but, uh, but if you had a, a, a six-year-old sister ye, who was into it, yes, she's three years older. She's two years older. Two, my yeah, sister is three years older. We didn't. Duh. We didn't start watching it at birth. You know, I I, yeah. re, I recall <laughs> watching it, so I <laughs> I was obviously old enough. But it was on in prime time, so it yeah. would have been in the first run. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It was definitely first run. That's amazing. For sure. Yeah. Well, here's my thing. I'm. I was born in '68. Mm -hmm. The Brady Bunch premiered in '69. Yeah. I remember Brady Bunch in prime time. Uh huh. We uh -huh. never missed it because I had a sister three years older. There you go. Who was obsessed with David Cassidy. Yeah. And had to watch Partridge Family. So the Brady Bunch Partridge Family. That was like sure a done deal every oh, Friday yeah. night. Most of the stuff I watched as a child uh, was dictated by my sister. Mm -hmm. I know yep. I know Grease, the movie, all too well. <laughs> I know uh, Dirty Dancing all too well. Oh, wow. <laughs> so. And is she your only sibling? Yep. Okay, yep, so we're one. in the same boat. We had yeah. a sister, you two years, mine three years. And they're bossy, aren't they? Sure, yeah. They, definitely. Wow. Mm -hmm. She's lightened up uh, in her old age. <laughs> <laughs> Mine hasn't. <laughs> I kid. I love my sister. Yeah. I kid. I totally kid. Well, we just watched the episode called The Oldest Living Graduate. 
and uh, the original air date was in the fall of 80, 82. Mm-hmm. And um, so typically before we start getting into the lengthy synopsis, I like to ask my guests, if you would please give me a one to two sentence off the top of your head, just a quick short synopsis of the show, like you might find in TV Guide, just to give listeners a quick reference of what we just watched. Okay. Uh, I would say that this one was all about Joe gets quote unquote adopted by a former student mm-hmm. of Eastland and has to make a choice of staying true to herself or money. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's it. Spot on. Beautifully done. Um, before we even start in, I was looking up uh, the cast list of this show and I, I didn't really know that the title had any significance, but in the process on IMDb, I stumbled across a TV movie dated 1980, so two years previous, uh, starring Henry Fonda called The Oldest Living Graduate. I'd never heard of this. Mm-hmm. I was around. I watched TV movies. I'm surprised I somehow wasn't aware of it. But yeah. according to IMDb, it says... Aiming to get in his old man's good graces, Floyd arranges a citywide celebration lauding Kincaid as the oldest living graduate of a nearby military academy. Instead, the festivities serve only to make the already sour and crusty patriarch even more truculent and miserable. Wow, who wouldn't want to watch that? I know, it sounds very uplifting, (laughs) just in time for the holidays. A crotchety old man made crotchetier. Right. (laughs) Sign me. Somebody invent the VCR so I I can tape it. I wonder if if it ends happier than that synopsis makes it sound. Yeah, I I hope it's at least a Scrooge story where he has a change of heart or something. I'd like to watch the last five minutes of that. But yeah. (laughs) Anyway, let's get right into this here. So we start the episode, as we have started so many previous to this, with preparations. Oh, yes. Busy work. Things are happening. (laughs) And in this case, it's a big deal because we have new furniture and a new setup in the Eastland cafeteria. We have a long table along the back wall. We have a podium. And uh, we also, over by the, the entrance doorway to the right of the doorway, I thought originally it was a table of trophies to add to the existing trophy case in the hallway. Uh It looks like a gigantic tea uh, brewer with little teapots, like it was silver. Perhaps, I remember seeing what you were seeing, but I I immediately thought trophies and then didn't think about it again. Yeah, I think it's it's a gigantic tea service, which is funny. We've talked about coffee a lot on the show. Yeah. How there's a coffee machine Mm -hmm. in the parlor or the, the lounge, some mm-hmm. call it, how we have those gigantic coffee terrines by the uh, exit to the upstairs area. Uh-huh. And um, and yet, it's a, a high school, boarding yeah. school, kids don't really drink coffee. And yet, frequently during the show, Mrs. Garrett will say to a guest, in this case, she brought their guests some tea yeah. from the kitchen, not from the gigantic tea servers. Right. But she'll say, let me make you a cup of coffee. Yeah. And then go off into the kitchen. They and never it's like, use, they, yeah, they never use the ones that are out there. <laughs> yeah. So it's just a set dressing and props. But it's, I don't know. I think kids, at least nowadays, are drinking coffee more and more. Oh, six-year-olds in Starbucks. Absolutely. Because sure. society's evolved. But yeah, you know? back in the day, growing up, I was like, no, that's an adult drink. I yeah. never even wanted to know what it tasted like. Yeah. 
I assume kids in high school are into coffee now. Oh, yeah, they definitely are. Are they? Yeah. I, yeah. My there nephew are... is 16, and I don't think he is. No. And, uh, yeah, plus we don't want to – you wouldn't want to put him on caffeine. But, again, I think kind of, kind of in the lines of this episode, you know, it's more of a status thing. Yeah. They want to walk into the school holding their Starbucks cup because yeah. – because they can't have a cigarette hanging out of their mouth to act more grown up. <laughs> right. uh, so what we do is we jump right on into the casual dialogue that is loaded with exposition. <laughs> it's like, wow, look at this whole setup. So much of a fuss for this old lady. What old lady? She's not any old lady. She's Marie Thornwell. She's the oldest living graduate of Eastland. She has a lot of money and she's left a lot of it to the school and she's leaving even more of it. And it's like, oh, bless. Yeah. That but, being said, I did respect the use of triangles and the blocking for that scene. Oh, good. <laughs> I don't pay much attention to that. Yeah, I was I was fascinated by it, actually, even though it was multiple shots, obviously. But mm-hmm. just the way that this, the shot was staged, they were cr- crisscrossing each other. Yeah. There was a nice little shot when Joe digs on Blair, where Blair was downstage quote unquote yeah you know camera forward i don't know what they say in the biz i don't either yeah (laughs) but you saw you know joe make the crack and then blair's face they're both both facing the camera yeah i thought it was pretty artistically done yeah oh good i'm glad (laughs) you noticed that i sometimes my my nose is buried in taking notes oh yeah and people have criticized me for being too (laughs) note-taking but um uh, yeah, and in the course of discussing this, the impending arrival of this Marie Thornwell, Joe tries to pass off interviewing her to Natalie for the school mm-hmm. paper. Typically, Natalie is the, the writer yeah. on the show. Joe, we only had one episode where they had to have her be a journalist for convenience sake, and then we really didn't ever get much more of Joe being a part of the newspaper. But um, for the most part, Joe is really passing off that she's just unimpressed. Some old lady who's got a whole bunch of money. Who the fuck is she? Yeah. Um, then in comes Mr. Parker. And he is all, is everything all set up? Is everything there? Is everything good? And Mrs. Garrett, of course, is very happy she's coming because she loves my strudel. <laughs> and feel free to join me with your personal bad Mrs. Garrett impression if you are so inspired. I don't know if I have one. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Keep using it throughout the entire episode. <laughs> Whenever we talk about Mrs. G. I beg of you. It's, yeah. Um, so uh, Mr. Parker is all, do you have everything ready? Did you make the strudel? Did you make the backup strudel? And Mrs. Garrett is just like, yes, Jesus. And uh, talk about the hilarious lines from the middle-aged writers. <laughs> I think it's Joe that says, I haven't seen Mr. Parker this nervous since Playboy sent that talent scout here. <laughs> uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now, does he and Mrs. G, uh, I, do they have a thing going on? Uh, no. Do you think they, they should or do? Well, maybe it's just suspect? maybe it just says something about my brain, but as soon as Strudel came up, I was like, is that a euphemism? Oh. <laughs> it Because he kept hinting at, you know, oh, Christmas music just started. It is. It's, it's that time of year. Just like that. Yeah. We are recording here at Sleuth's Mystery Dinner Theater, where Brandon and I both work. And uh, we thought we were in a quiet room (laughs) adjacent to the kitchen. And then the kitchen decided to break out Christmas. Yeah. And I respect respect them for it. Yeah. So this is just going to make my already clunky editing sound even clunkier. (laughs) Um, So um, 
So yeah, I just but, I, I thought the strudel might be a euphemism, it, and we, then he mentioned sleeping in her bed. Maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah, that is you're right. Yeah. Now it's funny. I never look at it that way because I don't perceive them that way. I yeah. think that's gross. <laughs> but Sarah French, when she saw a different episode where they had to kind of at first be at odds and then later team up, uh-huh. Sarah French was like. David, their chemistry is off the charts. <laughs> they should they should be an item. Yeah. And we have many times had it be like, uh, you know, Mr. Parker, I need a new bun warmer. <laughs> oh, yep. come on, Edna, never mind. Now can I have a slice of your pie in the kitchen? Yeah, there you go. Uh, so there's, yeah. Yeah. I, it could be there. It could be just that my adult viewing <laughs> eyes don't want to attach sexuality sure, to the sure. innocence of this show yeah uh, who knows um, <laughs> and then and yes and you say there's something coming up in a minute so then finally marie thornwell arrives and uh she's early they're all like and um and as they are meeting her and mr parker is fawning uh the girls are like wow so she's 83 years old and she overhears, I think it's Blair that says that. And yeah. she says something to the effect of, my dear, this is what 83 looks like. And it gets a huge kind of laugh response. I'm not sure why it's not a funny line. I, I'm, I'm not sure either. I don't know if it was a reference perhaps to something oh. that was going on in 83. Because honestly, that's where my brain went. I was like, is she referring to the year? And then later on, that comes back. Yeah, was there a slogan about the upcoming 1983, the year? Right. This is what 83 looks like. I'm not sure. Maybe. I have no idea. It also, felt, it also feels very modern because I feel like we use that phrase nowadays. Uh, yeah, very ahead you know. of its time. Uh, so let's take a moment and say that Marie Thornwell is played by character actress Amzie Strickland. And uh, I love her name, Amzie. I know, with a Z and, and everything. Uh, yeah, exactly. And if you look at her IMDb, it does say that she is known for appearing in Pretty Woman, Doc Hollywood. She has got a photograph of her on the Andy Griffith show. She was in the movie uh, Wanderlust. Is that the, the Jennifer Aniston Wanderlust? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, she was on ER. She has. She's just one of those great working character actresses mm-hmm. who has a ton of credits, and it looks like they end with Pretty Woman uh, in 1990. But she did live to be 87 in the year 2006. So let's do some math here. Oh, 87 in 2006, meaning in 1986 she would have been 67. Right. So in 1982 she is 62. Yeah. So she is 62 years old. That's interesting because she read much older. Well, I looked so. at one point, I don't know if you noticed, I took a really close look at the screen. I, I kind of pressed my nose against it. Yeah. Because I'm like, she looks like she's got some age makeup on. Yeah. Particularly the lines drawn around her nostrils and the nasal labial folds. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which is kind of the giveaway. Yeah. And uh, so they clearly did age her, but... It's funny. If you just look at, like, her skin and, like, her jowls and the sagging, it's like, ooh, girl. Yeah. That's... Yeah, which is why when they made the joke about she doesn't look 83, I was like, yeah, yeah she does. She, she does. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, this is... I yeah. mean, granted, you know, we all age differently now. Right. Because, you know, particularly actresses in Hollywood, she'd have had seven facelifts by now <laughs> if uh, we're modern times. 
but um, the thing about her is she is, uh, I think she's perfectly cast. I love her in this. And she is that uh, of the generation where she has that perfect elocutionary mid-Atlantic uh, thing where she's like, oh, Mr. Parker, if you would please, I just want to have a cup of tea and sit down for a moment. Mm -hmm. That perfectly prim and proper, uh, not quite an English accent, but very close. Yeah, but that that being said, she did have an abrasiveness that I, I found because she was pretty short and curt with people yeah. when she first came in, which I think is why... She and Joe were such a nice pairing for mm-hmm. the episode itself. So. Absolutely. And you want to know an interesting factoid. You know who was originally supposed to play this, but had to drop out at the last minute for health reasons? Who? Margaret Hamilton. Oh, really? Could you imagine Margaret Hamilton playing this role? Not really. I, n- me neither. Not really. <laughs> Margaret Hamilton is, and not even looking at her Wicked Witch of the West yeah. type of stuff, but Cora from Maxwell House. She was so... Mm-hmm. Uh, salt of the earth. She she feels she doesn't feel like this character at one point when Blair is kind of trying to hobnob with her on rich people terms. Yeah, uh, she does. There's a joke where she's like, "I've never heard of the Warner." Blair says, "Yeah." Blair says, "Of course you've heard of the Warners, you know, from uh, Poughkeepsie, New York City, wherever." She says, and she's like, "No, I've never heard of them. Must be new money." Yeah. And I could not imagine Margaret Hamilton as an old money socialite. Um, it would have been an interesting take on it. Uh, yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, hey, she was a character actress, too, and yeah. certainly a competent one. But um, it, just thinking about her, the most recent place I could put her is the Paul Lind Halloween special. Mm. And, and in that, she was like, Mr. Lind. This yeah. isn't Christmas. You're decorating for the wrong holiday. <laughs> and, and, and Cora from Maxwell House. That was really what she was known for at this time. She was the elderly spokesperson. She, would have, she owned a general store, so she was a working class. And she's uh-huh. like, there's your Maxwell House. Good to the last drop. Yeah. <laughs> and it just it, it, she, she's more of a, of a Marjorie Maine, Mammy Yoakum type. Of course, yeah. Than she is... A, a, a piss elegant, you know, Grace, aged Grace Kelly, which yeah. I think is what they wanted this to be. So, um, allegedly, it was health reasons that she dropped out, but I think that might have been for the better. I think she might have been yeah. a little miscast in this role. Perhaps. Yeah. So, that's uh, Amesy Strickland, and she's lovely. She is wearing an old lady outfit. Oh, yeah. Skirt suit. She's got an almost 1920s looking beanie sort of a hat mm-hmm. and a big lace dicky in the yeah, front I, right it looked like a doily stuff yeah <laughs> a, a napkin yeah and uh, lace at the cuffs of her sleeves so they they went full on um it, it did look like it was well made it was well matched it did look like a rich woman's outfit yeah. but a rich yeah. old woman's outfit oh yeah so in all of the talking about you're here early mr parker suggests she could take a nap and rest mm-hmm. and he says you could try it you could Ah, you could go up to Mrs. Garrett's bedroom and sleep in her bed. It's very, very comfortable. Not that I've tried it out. Or has he? Or has he? (laughs) (laughs) And Mrs. Garrett does give him a look like, really? (laughs) Really? You know, but it's good. It's too. My take on it is her going, really? You think that people are going to think we're fucking? (laughs) But you maybe could look at it as, if you interpret it differently, you could look at it as her going, 
dude. Shut Not up. in front of the girls. We don't uh, want the girls to know this. Girls, Ixnay, girls. <laughs> Ixnay on the ucking me, Faye. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yes. So Mr. Parker introduces Tootie and Natalie. Natalie. They, <laughs> they constantly, without explicitly saying it, is they make her so stereotypically Jewish. And in this case, you heard me laugh out loud yes, when yeah. she shakes um, uh, Marie's hand. And <laughs> Natalie says, oh, nice ring. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it just looked like the next thing to say is, how much you pay for it? I'll give you $2.75. <laughs> Look, it's used. You can't give it to me for the full price. You just felt like they would have gone that way. The middle back aged. In that, back at that time, but yeah, yeah, like, but I didn't take, I didn't take that. You didn't take that, that as a Jewish thing. No, I didn't. Maybe, maybe that, maybe I'm just too maybe. daft or whatever. But <laughs> I, was, I was like, huh. But the deal is, uh, we've talked frequently about how the writers have got to be middle aged mm-hmm. and probably most of them Jewish. I joke that they're vaudevillian writers sure. because so often the voices and the jokes that are coming out of these teenage girls are so incongruous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last week, Tootie went. Uh, I don't like the play that she wrote, Natalie. It's old hat. <laughs> Tootie, who's 15 years old. Right, right. It's uh, 16, rather. But old hat. What teenager says, oh, that's old hat, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. That went out with button shoes. <laughs> um, so then he introduces Joe. Mm-hmm. And Joe, uh, the thing is, Joe is particularly earthy in this episode. She's particularly um, sticking to her roots and almost to the point where you're like, come on, she's been at this school for two years now. Some of, we know some of Joe's rough edges have smoothed off. Sure. And at the very least, we know she has some sense of empathy and social propriety to just know how to properly say hello to somebody. Mm-hmm. And so Joe's like, hey, so you're rich, huh? How much they hitting you up for? And, uh, of course, Marie is just taken aback. That's my Mrs. Garrett voice. It's also my Marie voice. Um, So Mrs. Garrett rushes in with tea and strudel, and uh, she says, I think I will go up and rest in your room. Okay, one of the girls will take you up there. Um, And Marie requests and says, how about the blunt one? Mm -hmm. So already she's... Joe is the blunt one. Which I think was nice because, you know, I think she instantly recognized the two peas in a pod quality yeah. that they have, their similarities. They they are their own spinoff waiting to happen, aren't they? Right, yeah, exactly. Later when she says, Joe, you need to move in with me, I'm like, there's the next backdoor pilot yeah. right yeah. there. But, but you, know, you know, I was I was actually happy that this was a Joe episode because Joe was always the one that I had the crush on growing up. So many straight men. Who yeah. have sat across from me. Yeah. I think the majority of them, they're not, oh, Blair was the pretty one. Or, no, no, yeah. so many guys yeah. are into Joe. Blair's gross. <laughs> Blair's gross. <laughs> Flaunting her wealth. I'm just like, ugh, yeah. gross. But they'll be marrying up, I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, you could get that ring for a better price. <laughs> but, um, so, um, then we continue this. Joe is being borderline impolite. Yeah. Yeah. Just the basic common courtesy of sure. this woman is a guest and she's a big deal to some people. I'm not impressed. But at the very least, you know, exert basic courtesy. Yeah. And, and I, she's I, discourteous. I, There's the word I kept discourt- trying to yeah. find. She's, and I, I made a note of that actually at that time because it's one of those things where I wonder at this point, because I don't deal with 
kids all that often is like are is respecting your elders even a thing anymore because a lot of young people i think have the reputation of being you know yeah. little and great shits or whatever yeah but then i run into kids who call me mr brandon and i'm like i feel like that's, <laughs> that's also overcorrecting in yeah. the other direction i was like you don't need to call me mr brandon that's silly like yeah. gr- growing up i we called our teachers mr and mrs whatever yeah but then you know anyone else we came across we would learn their names or yeah if it was a neighbor we would have to say mr or mrs or whatever it's just it was so weird but i noted that at the time i was like huh this is once again a little bit ahead of its time i guess i think you know my my problem with this is it would be appropriate for joe to do this if there were a reason for her to take the piss out of this woman sure if there was um if Joe had a reason or a beef or felt that this woman needed to be knocked down a peg, Joe's I don't give a fuck opinion would be the perfect match to it. But Joe's been given nothing other than seeing all of her peers and elders mm-hmm. fawning and falling over themselves. Well, I will say I I do feel like because, again, when uh, when the older lady came into the scene right when we first met her, she was a little abrasive, you know, when. Uh, when, when it was suggested that she have a seat, you know, he tried to take her arm and she smacked it away. He's like, I can still sit on my own. So, yeah. so I do. I think there was a little bit of that, you know, so maybe Joe recognized it as well of like, oh, yeah. yeah. But there's also that whole sense of I'm 83. I'm not dead. I can sit down. Oh, I'm not an invalid. Right. You'd yeah. think Joe would, you know, feel an affinity for that of, mm-hmm. uh, of a person still wanting to. Uh, maintain their independence kind of a thing. Yeah. That's giving Joe a lot of credit for understanding <laughs> the elderly, which you and I understand better because we're closer to Marie than we are to Joe <laughs> these days. Jesus. Um, but as they're coming up to Mrs. Garrett's bedroom, Joe is even saying, uh, come on, let's go, Marie. Let's move it. Mm-hmm. My grandma clam- climbs the stairs faster and she's got a plastic knee. And it's like, girl, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> and um, anyhow, she gets her settled into the room, and Marie says that she's not going to take a nap. So Joe says, good. How about giving me an interview for the school paper? And Marie says, it's about time. And then she starts in with this florid narrative about where she was born and raised and how she came to Eastland, a young socialite, and all that, and how Eastland... Uh, back in the class of 1918, uh, her reminiscences are, the school was full of the finest debutantes and socialites. And finally she says, where are you from? And Joe's like, I'm from the Bronx. And then she says, oh, well, you're one of those wonderful cases of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, climbing out of poverty. And Joe is like, uh, don't knock poverty. It's not all that bad. And she says, well, I'm sure someone of your position would say that. Mm. And so, Joe, now's the point where it's personal. Now is where you think Joe has reason to be as she has been acting previous as, as to this. As Joe as she can be, yeah. Yeah. But um, Joe is about to really lay into her and mouth off when... Like you do. Mr. Parker barges into the bedroom. Sure. Like the male authority figure would do in a private bedroom where <laughs> women are in a girl's school. Yeah. And basically he, he quickly defuses the situation, yanks Joe out of there, and the final shot is just Marie thinking. 
where they often have these long pauses mm -hmm. before we go back to the next, we dissolve to the next scene. Um, so next we're at the cafeteria and it is the official luncheon. It is in full swing. It is full of adults. So um, you don't know if it's like the alumni, you don't know if it's the faculty, but it's, a, it's quite a few people. And considering we do not know how many students attend Eastland, it's somewhere between 20 and 20,000 is the best I can gather. <laughs> I thought it was just the four. <laughs> <laughs> there are weeks, I shit you not, there are weeks when it's, it is literally the four. Um, so uh, they basically go on and on about her generous philanthropy and, and in full old lady, oh, would you stop going on? I have something to say. And basically she stands up at the podium and says, my generous gift that you are talking about, I am no longer leaving it to the school. I am leaving all of my money to that girl, Joe, from the Bronx. And so I didn't gather before that it was she's leaving all her money to the school. It was just she was, I thought she was granting an amount. Like, yeah, like she I, just, I, I didn't take it at first as like oh your entire fortune yeah uh but then it seemed to switch to that yeah uh, which is a point. weird thing to do yes i'm leaving my fortune so it's like thank you and hope you die <laughs> i mean it's like yeah. okay so you're 83 you could live 15 more years honey sure, absolutely. if not more yeah um but the deal is uh she says that so of course there's this big oh shock and what and then like in full earshot of all the others, mm -hmm. Blair and Tootie and Natalie come running over. Oh my God, Joe, that's amazing. You're rich now. Yeah. I can't believe it. That's terrific. And you're rich just from one interview. And Mr. Parker says, Edna, what was in that tea? And through all of the rejoicing and the happy and oh my gods, we fade to commercial. Yes. However, uh, you still, even during that moment, you saw the disdain on Blair's face. Oh. Which brings my point home of she's gross. Yeah. <laughs> Blair is gross. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. She was so envious that it wasn't her. <laughs> yeah, true. And we, we learn about that even more yeah. after the commercial break. But since we are at the commercial break of the show, Brandon, I'd like to take a moment and get to know my guests. Okay. And uh, expose you, if oh. you'll allow me to, Heavens. to my fives of listeners. <laughs> and uh, just quickly... Uh, go through your life and your career. You and I have worked together at Sleuths for many, many years. Many, many years. Off and on, we've done some shows together. We were in Laughter on the 23rd floor yes. at Mad Cow, which is one of the most amazing, awesome experiences yes. ever. That was fun. God, I love that show. That was a fun show. And um, uh, so that's how we have worked together. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have worked in theme parks and theaters around the area. But leave us turn back the clock. Brandon. Yes. Roberts. That's me. Where were you born? Durham, North Carolina. North Carolina, Southern boy. Yes, I am. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and were you raised there also? Uh, yes, pretty much. Uh, there was like two years during kindergarten and first grade that we moved down to Myrtle Beach for a hot second mm -hmm. and then moved back to Durham. Uh, where so, I where I so you went from North Carolina down to South South Carolina. Carolina. Yeah, my dad worked for GTE, which is what Verizon used to be. Oh yeah, sure. With uh, the culture shock, going from North to South it, Carolina. It, oh yeah, it was a Ooh, lot. It was a lot. Man, no yeah. wonder you went running back. Holy <laughs> shit! <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So what, uh, where did you go to school? Where did you train, if at all, sure. to be a performer? And then what brought you to Central Florida? Yeah, I was, uh, I was in Durham throughout my high school days and, you know, did theater at my school and everything. Uh, and then went to college at UNC Greensboro, mm-hmm. just about 50 miles away from my hometown. Okay. Uh, so so was, did, you didn't I, commute, you stayed there. Yeah, yeah. I, I stayed in the dorm and That's everything. Good. It was good, you know, learn how to be a grown-up and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I got my BFA in acting from okay. from them. You know, it was funny because I got there and I had done so many musicals in high school. And then one of my advisors, when I got into the BFA program, said, okay, we know you can do the musicals. Now we're going to teach you how to act. Oh, <laughs> yes. One of those things that always stuck out to me. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, That's that, And musicals get a bad they rap do, for Oh, that. they totally do. And you know? I think half of the problem is the fact that there are so many... There are so many directors out there Mm -hmm. that don't realize you need to direct between the songs. Absolutely. So many directors approach musicals as, okay, the music is the only important thing. It's the staging of the number, getting the choreographer involved and all that. But then they give short shrift to the scenes, to the table work, to the actual performances. And so oftentimes, uh, quote unquote, I'm a musical theater actor. Right. The subtext that people take from that is, oh, so you can sing and dance, but you're probably not much of an actor. Right, exactly. And that is so not the case. No, nor nor uh, should it be. No, in most circumstances. Um, So how did you get here? Uh, I followed a girl. Oh well, we we haven't did, we all we decided together, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but and, yeah, and by we all I don't mean me. I know I was gonna no. say like wait a second, <laughs> <laughs> you 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 like strudel too? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Beauty. So yeah, we uh, this girl and I started dating in North Carolina, and we talked about moving somewhere, and I I had. I had gone up to, this is well after college, I had gone up to the city, the big city, NYC, mm-hmm. to see how I liked it, and it was just too overwhelming for me. Being from a smaller town, I was like, I, I like the small town vibe. Yeah. So um, so we knew we didn't want to go up there, and she suggested coming down here because her family had always come down here for Disney trips and stuff. Oh, yeah. So I was like, okay. I had no other ideas so uh, I started researching theaters in the area and got some advice from people who used to live here uh, who I was working with at the time and got down here and you know got the standard you know crappy job as soon as I landed an acting gig I was like see ya and they begged me to stay but I was like nope (laughs) now talk to me about uh, how your physical acting came to be in terms of one of the things that you are known for in this theater community and uh, to the fringe audiences is the shows that you have produced, written, directed, uh, workshopped that are silent shows Mm -hmm. where they are completely based on uh, physicality and uh, that is a particular specialty of yours as far as being able to do silent stuff and physical comedy. Mm -hmm. Uh, when did you discover that talent? Well, while I was um, taking classes at UNCG, uh, 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 an alumni, alumnus, what are you, whatever you call it, mm-hmm. uh, had been out in the world and had the chance to work with a Spanish theater company called El Tricicle. And it was the three guys who had gone to uh, mime school in Barcelona. And then oh. they started this company called El Tricicle. And Spanish for tricycle. Exactly. Three wheels, three actors. Yeah. Clever. And they they were kind of 
big shots in Barcelona. They were they were huge. They had their own TV show. They did movies. They helped open the '96 Olympics. That wow. sort of thing. Uh, so this guy uh, named Eric had gone and had the good fortune of working with them, and one of their shows was a spoof of the world of sports called Slastic, and he wanted to bring it to America and create a company and tour that show. So he came, he brought it back. They, you know, granted him the rights to do that. And he, you know, re- renamed it sport, uh, as simple as that. And he came back to the school looking for a cast. And that just happened to be about the time that I was graduating. Oh. So our mutual movement teacher who had taught both of us suggested me, uh, as doing that. So we, I, I signed up with him and we toured it around, got to go over to Europe and toured it over there for a little while. Nice. Um, I did not realize this. Yeah. Yeah. All these things happened. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, cut to me moving down here to Orlando and discovering Orlando Fringe. And I thought, wow, sport, I think would be a lot of fun mm-hmm. as part of this Fringe Festival. So we did it at Fringe um, and it went over very well. And it is still on my resume. Yeah, <laughs> because you came, you came to me and said, David, I have a paragraph that we need to be in Spanish. Could you translate this for me? There you go. Me? There you go. And I translated it, and I went right back and said, so who's recording this? <laughs> and you went, could you do it? Right. And so uh, I did it. So Spanish, I was like, plop, on my voiceover there you go. resume. There you go. No nice. job too small. Nice, exactly. Uh, and, and then, so I didn't realize sport was not your creation. Correct, yeah. But then you went on to create knew a show called Slay, which was all Christmas themed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Sport Rematch. Was that yours or was that theirs? Uh, a lot of it was ours. Uh, we we still pulled some of it from the original show. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why I've always been kind of hesitant to do the sports again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because it's not our material. But yeah, that's when uh, PB&J Theater Factory got formed. And actually, Snack was our first all original Snack, one. Snack, that's right. Slay and they all start it. with S. They, they, they all, all start with all S. One word and they all start with S. One word, one syllable. And what's the most recent one you've done? Uh, the most recent one that we wrote was Smooch. Smooch. Well, I guess technically Stump. Stump. Which was a two-hander. Oh, that was so lovely. It that was, was a, like a yeah, silent love story. A little bit of a departure for us. Yeah, there's only two characters in that one and no quick changes at all. Yeah, it wasn't like a sketch. The other ones are more sketch format. Yeah. Whereas this yeah. was a single thing. You and the wonderful Gemma right. Walden. Yes, yes, That was indeed. lovely. Indeed, yeah. And um, what was the one? You also were in The Boxer. The Boxer, yeah, that, that was, was just one a that, play. Yeah, Jester Theater produced that one. Jay uh, and was, Diana Hopkins. But it was, you know, very much a silent movie on stage, which is what. The oh yeah, that, that's what so, it was. Yeah. Yeah. And that was in Gemma. It was in that. Gemma was in, That's where Gemma and I first met each other. And, yeah, and her husband Brett time. has been on Brett the show. Yeah. 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 So. And um, so then you just the last thing I want to point out about your career using that great physicality you have been a part of probably one of the greatest groups of physical comedians that has ever appeared in central florida the longshoremen at yeah. SeaWorld. uh yeah i i will i'll take that compliment and run with it and yeah <laughs> uh yeah uh the longshoreman uh was uh the brainchild of todd zimmerman who runs oddities entertainment mm-hmm. and uh he he got into into SeaWorld at a time that they were bringing in a lot of entertainers and that sort of thing. And Todd has a clowning background, correct? Yes, he is a Ringling Brothers uh, yep. former clown. I have uh, sung the praises yep. of clowns and their training and talent many Absolutely, times on yeah. the show. It is nothing to shake a stick at. Oh, it not is at all. significant. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, so The Longshoreman was very much a, a Three Stooges style uh, comedy. You know, it, we had obviously spoken dialogue in that, but it was a lot of just big, broad kicks and smacks to the face. And, and full on pie, full on, pies in the face and yeah. hoses and getting oh, yourself yeah. soaking at, wet. Yeah. And at Christmas time, we would do a giant pie fight. And it yeah. Was, uh, there were tons of videos on YouTube. I'll yeah. post a couple of them, but I encourage yeah. people to look at it. It's unfortunate that their run came to an end just earlier this year. Yeah, yeah. We finished at the end of August. Uh, as How long had it been? there they had been in the park for 16 years i i was with them for 11 wow years, so but Man. yeah in the continuing cutbacks that SeaWorld likes to do <laughs> yeah all theme all theme parks not just in yeah, SeaWorld. Yeah. all theme parks and no show is safe that, it's all true. shows close i've said it here before hoopty do review has been running since what 72 or 73 right. yeah hoopty do yeah. review is going to close someday i don't know it may not be in our lifetime that might be blasphemous right there <laughs> yeah but all shows close that's rob yeah. zeiser always instilled that in me yeah from the speaking of amazing clown talents and yeah. silent comedians exactly um well, I am so happy you are here, and I'm so thrilled you've made the time to be here. We need to wrap up this show now, though, Brandon. Let's do it. Like a present. Yeah. So we come back from commercial. We are in the cafeteria. The girls are in their street clothes now, so it's now clearly a weekend. I have to point out, Natalie is wearing the same Argyle sweater vest she had on last week. So it's good to see them recycling clothes. Really? This I is not Sex that. in the City where they never had the same outfit twice. Yeah. Even though I'm a strug I'm Carrie Bradshaw and I'm a struggling writer and I can't make ends meet. But I have a hundred <laughs> pairs of Manolo Blahnik shoes. <laughs> Anyhow, Blair is not happy because they referred there's they're still like, oh, can you believe Joe is? And Blair says, and eh. they're like, you can't even say heiress, can you? <laughs> and um they learned that Marie has taking her has been taking her around mm -hmm. and kind of taken Joe under wing and now she's going to be taking her to a new French restaurant. Joe enters in the most amazing, hideous white lace dress. It is so perfectly wrong on her. Oh yeah. Because it is so frilly. Um, I feel like I've seen it somewhere before and I can't place it. Like it was a costume from a movie or another TV show or something, but the the best, the perfect line is somebody turns to her and says, uh, you here for the Easter parade? Uh-huh. Because yep. all she was missing was the big wide bonnet. That's what it looked like, yeah. But in addition to this white lace dress, very frilly, very mm -hmm. girly mm -hmm. and ruffledy, uh, white tights, black character shoes. Yep. <laughs> and so Joe's, in there. it's a little low heel, but a heel nonetheless. Right. Very weird to see Joe in a heel. Yeah. Um, so Joe is kind of trying to pass off that, yeah, this is okay. Marie, I like it. Marie likes it, so I like it kind of a thing. It's no big deal. And then there's talk that Marie is going to be taking her to the music store. They're going to buy her an instrument? Yeah, she wants me to start learning the harp. Of all things. It, it's not going to kill me. So they're already asking Joe what she's going to do with the money that she does not have yet that we do not know if or when she will ever get. Right. Because Marie could outlive Joe for all we know. They've acted <laughs> like Marie saying, I'm leaving my money to Joe. Yeah. Is the equivalent of her handing her a lump of money. And so it's very weird. But Joe does nicely say she wants to help out her mom. So her mom doesn't have to be a waitress anymore. She's going to help out her friends. And the kids are all, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, particularly Natalie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will make no other commentary. <laughs> um, and then she's going to buy herself a new Formula race car. So then she says, I got to get going. 
I've got to get my bike and get over to lunch with Marie. Right. And Blair says, you can't ride your bike like that. And Joe says, oh, you're right. Reaches over, puts on her helmet. Mm-hmm. And the visual of Joe walking out in the dress and the heels and the helmet is a beautiful thing to behold. Yes. Yes. Then we go to another scene later in the cafeteria, maybe the next day. We don't really know. It doesn't really matter. And Blair walks in. It is a glorious day, isn't it? Blair is beaming, ebullient, and happier than we have ever seen her. Why is she happy, Brandon? Because she did some research Mm -hmm. and found out that her family is worth more than the little old ladies. Yes. And that's all Blair needed to know. (laughs) That's all right. Yeah. Particularly when Marie referred to Blair's family as new money. You realize that is Mm -hmm. such a fucking rich person. (laughs) Like, how dare you? (laughs) Um, Blair is gross. (laughs) (laughs) So Joe is talking about uh, what's the bus schedule? Because I'm going to be doing this other thing with Marie. And they're like, why are you taking the bus? You ride your bike. She's like, well, Marie doesn't like me on the bike. It makes her kind of nervous. And uh, so they're like, okay, you're not riding your bike anymore because of her. Marie shows up unexpected, criticizes Joe's fatigues, her uh, camo camouflage jacket, mm-hmm. and hands her a bag that contains her uniform for the Ladies of the Colonies Club. Never heard of this before. No. Never hear about it again. But apparently this is a very snooty club in town. Mm -hmm. And Joe comments that they wear, is it yellow and purple beanies or... Yes. I forget what the colors are. But she refers that they wear these beanies. Right. And I'm like, "A a ladies club wears beanies right red hats i could get behind yeah <laughs> or big or big hats like if it was sure, just Kentucky if you just said Derby. big you know you have to be wearing a big hat to get in the door right it would have been something more like that but uh, beanies and mm. they refer back to that a couple of times and i'm like i th- i have a sneaky suspicion this was written by men right i'm just gonna go out on a limb and right. say that and I will say that going back to the name of the club just makes you feel icky anyway. Yes. Because the implication of colonies mm-hmm. and just knowing that it's a bunch of most likely rich white, Caucasian ladies. White, white, just, You white. just felt icky when she said it. Just yeah. like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know the only people of color at that club are holding trades. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so at this point, um, Tootie has had it. And Tootie mm. creates a false excuse to drag Joe into the kitchen and be like, and now Tootie is getting very confrontational, where basically she says, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. What is all this? Why are you doing all this? Just, is this just because of the money? You're, you're basically, you are giving up yourself and who you are. And I did appreciate her line to get Joe into the kitchen was, we've got a rump to roast. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Also sexual, Mr. Parker. (laughs) And I mean that in the dirtiest way possible. Um, So, um, and then Tootie tells Mrs. Garrett, she's even, did you, Marie's getting her into the Ladies of the Colonies Club. And Mrs. Garrett says, oh, I hear Eleanor Roosevelt is still on their waiting list. (laughs) Nothing like a good Eleanor Roosevelt joke. Uh, That's right. In 1982. That's right. That was, talk about your finger on the pulse of the TV viewing public. (laughs) So then we come back out to the cafeteria. Joe has been emboldened by Tootie's speech, by Tootie's sort of proverbial 
figurative slap to the face saying, the, the what rump, are you the doing? The rump roast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so Joe comes out with the intent saying, yeah, not going to wear whatever this outfit is, and I'm not going to wear the beanies at this club. That's not my thing. And Joe walks out, walks right up to Marie and says, I don't really, uh, and Joe buckles. Yeah. And before she has a chance to kind of figure out why she can't bring herself to say what she needs to say, Marie says, oh, and I have one more surprise. It's all cleared away and ready. What is your bedroom? You're moving in with me. I have to pause here. So is Marie local? She would have to be. She says, Joe, you'll still go to school here. Sure. Joe's like, but I like living here. She's like, well, you'll still go to school here, but you'll live at my place. You yeah. Commute, basically. Yeah. So I'm like, well, if, if Marie is such a benefactor, such a, a person that they revere yeah. and kowtow to yeah. for her contributions and her status, if she's local, why has her appearance and this luncheon, even with her leaving all her money to the school, why, number one, why have we never heard of her before? It's right. a sitcom. But number two, uh, to me, there was a sense that she was coming back, coming, returning to her roots of yeah. where she became right. who she is. Yeah, yeah. It, fe it felt like she had been off in the world creating this, this yeah. name for herself. Yeah, so I'm not wrong. You Did you perceive that too? Yeah. That, oh, yeah, like, yeah. She, it didn't sound like she was just a local rich lady who went to Eastland and never left Peekskill? Right. Right. Ooh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So that was weird. Um, oh, 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 oh. No. <laughs> there it is. So um, I forget under what pretense we ask Miss, uh, we ask Marie to politely wait in the parlor or why she goes into the parlor. But yeah. she goes over into the parlor so that all the rest of this can happen without her there. Sure. And Tootie says, and you know, Tootie, when Tootie's a confrontational little bitch, she's, <laughs> man. <laughs> She does not hold back. Right. And she goes right to Joe and says, well, I guess Miss Integrity has her price. And Joe pushes back and mm -hmm. says, would you turn down that kind of money? And Mrs. Garrett intervenes. Nobody is blaming you, Joe. And Joe says, um, well, you guys think I'm selling out. And Mrs. Garrett, so calmly, Joe, it's your decision. And then in comes Mr. Parker. And Mr. Parker brings some not great news. Mm -hmm. He says, well, I was talking to Marie's lawyer about her changing her will. And they're like, yeah. And he says, apparently she does this on a regular basis. She has in the past changed her will to leave all of her money to her mailman, a bird sanctuary, and the saxophone section on the Lawrence Welk show. That's a good reference, because that was an old people show, even in 1982. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Oh, yeah. Um, so Joe immediately is mad about it. She's like, so she was dangling all this in front of me like it was some sort of a bribe. Who does she think she is? And then Mrs. Garrett, the words of wisdom. Joe, <laughs> nobody twisted your arm. She uses money to buy love and attention. But you also used her. And Joe cannot argue. That's right. So then she has to go talk to Marie. 
So she walks into the parlor, which is literally the next room over through an archway. Yeah. It's like yeah. there is no way she could not hear yeah. everything. She's old. She's old. <laughs> There's no way she heard that. But I knew this. <laughs> I was thinking this as it was going on. Oh, I thought there, yeah. maybe something else is going to happen where whatever. But when Joe walks over, they, they did in the episode where someone had left a baby there. Mm -hmm. And then when they came back, Joe's like, oh, I'll go get Emily and leaves the scene and then returns with the baby from the parlor. It's like, that's 10 paces away. There's no, you'd say, oh, you're here for your baby? She's right over there. Right. I'll go yeah. get her. <laughs> so this, this theatrical conceit of the parlor being this hermetically sealed, soundproof yeah. other place. Yeah. When it's yeah. just so not. <laughs> and so she comes in, Marie's just sitting there, la la, you, you wish Marie had said, I can fucking hear you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, Joe basically now says, well, Marie, I'm not moving in with you. We're not joining that snooty club yeah. there. And Marie just looks and says, well, I hope you understand. I'm going to be changing my will then. And Joe says, oh, that's fine. Yeah. Go for it. And she says, well, then I guess I'll just say goodbye. And she gets up. And as she starts to leave, Joe says, why? And she looks back and is like, huh? And Joe says, what? This doesn't mean we can't hang out once in a while. And she's all, you would come to visit me? Why? And Joe says, I kind of like you. And I think she says something like, you're stubborn. Stubborn, and yeah. You annoy me, and I like that in a person. Yeah. yeah. Reference to her, Blair, her frenemy. Right. Best, yeah. best frenemyship with Blair. Absolutely. And then she says, uh, will you wear the beanie? And Joe, as a concession, says, I'll wear the beanie. Yeah. And she says, then come over Saturday. We'll watch Lawrence Welk. And Joe says, nope, I draw the line. That's right. Fuck that, not watching Lawrence Welk. Don't push it, lady. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so it ends with, well, see you Saturday. See you Saturday. And then I think this will go down in history as the most awkward hug ever seen on primetime television. <laughs> and I think it's partially by design, but I think it's not executed right, so it just comes off as a, an awkward performance of a hug. Yeah. It was, as it opposed was, to a performance weird. of an awkward hug. Right. Yeah. So it's one of those where she goes to hug Joe, and I think the intent was Marie was a little too anxious, a little too energetic and happy because someone has said, I like you in spite of your money, mm -hmm. not because of your money. Yeah. So she kind of uh, lunges at Joe a little fast, but it's just a barely like their torsos don't touch, the arms don't even come around, and they're like, there's not even a side cheek. They, they oh, kind no. of yeah. halfway get there. And then she quickly pulls herself away. So it's the idea of, I'm I'm letting my guard down and being vulnerable and I well mm -hmm. I'm still me and yeah that and I get the value of that and why that would have been appropriate yeah but when she pulled away and then they just had their moment of staring at each other awkwardly for three seconds too long <laughs> yes before the clap track yeah um that was the point where I I actually said back it up because I I wasn't sure. If Marie didn't go in for a hug and Joe put up her arms to stop her. Right. And then have Marie pull back, which almost would have made sense, too, with the sense of, okay, don't 
push it. Yeah. Don't get, don't push it. Yeah. That would have been okay too. Right, right. But, um, yeah, that's the only part of the show, and sadly at the very end to have it happen like that. But it yeah. was just like, ooh. It ended weird, and it didn't, I didn't feel good about their impending friendship. Well, because we never hear about her again. It's not right, like, of course. But but even even with them clearing the air and and having that would be connection at the end, I just struggled with it uh, myself. Mm-hmm. You know, because I I think the intent was when Joe was listing off the traits that she liked about Marie. Yeah, these are also traits that I think Joe possesses. It's like oh yeah, I you know I I do think from the beginning they were trying to put these two together on the same in the same uh, yeah place. they're they're at odds and in conflict but they're actually just the same yeah and uh yeah and it almost would have been a better um it would have been almost i think i would have preferred an ending where instead of going for that kind of schmaltzy hug but mm-hmm. not hug and uh, if there had been more sparring they had already they already established it with the will you wear the beanie okay we yeah. were lawrence Welk. Don't push it. Yeah. They could have ended it right there. Absolutely. That could have been the final joke. Yeah. Nice, nice laugh line. Yeah. Call back to Lawrence Welk and done. Yeah. What I also found myself longing for during the episode is is a, an actual realization from Marie of like, oh, I can't just buy yeah. friendship, you know. Yeah. I'm asking someone to not stay true to themselves. You're right. You You're know, totally so, right. So that I can just barf my way of living on onto whoever I wish. Yeah, you're right. And it was weird because it, it was set up. It was written. The entire episode was written to be Marie's episode and for her to have a turnaround at the end. And that never really happened. Yeah. You know, she's made a friend, allegedly. Right. But yeah. Is and, that, this... and that's why I think I struggled with buying this potential friendship because I'm like, she still doesn't see. Yeah. She... What she's what she's asked of you, Joe. Yeah. You know? So. It would have been, yeah, down the road. Is Joe going to be there like, no, you're not leaving your money to your dog walker. Right. It's that yeah. type of thing. Yeah. Is this just that the first step in her journey? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, I think we both have learned a lot of important things this, this episode. Oh, Nonetheless, definitely. about staying true to ourselves, Brandon. Yes. Because when someone comes along and offers you a fortune... That you may or may not get in 15 or 20 years. Right. Don't wear clothes that you don't like to wear. Yeah. No Sunday dresses for me. No. <laughs> <laughs> so so that ends the show. And uh, before I say goodbye to you, just off the top of your head, think of a random commercial from your childhood that you liked and enjoyed. Okay. Got it. Do it. D- reenact it or just but talk about it? Talk both. Everything. Okay. I want it all. From my childhood, uh, the ones that stick out to me are the old Bonkers candy commercials. If you remembered Bonkers, they were similar to Starburst. They were chewy candies, but they had a, f- a quote-unquote fruit filling in the middle. So they were like square remember. packages things. People would uh, eat the Bonkers, and whatever fruit it was, a giant fruit would fall from the sky and land on these people because that's how much fruit intensity that's there was the in and Bonkers. It, and they would, it would kill them. No, they'd love it. A giant <laughs> orange, giant orange would land on this old lady, and she'd be on her front porch just laughing <laughs> with this orange on her. And then I, that their, sounds familiar. And their I, catchphrase was "bonkers bonks you out." I do remember that. That's yeah. again, that's a little after my time, but no, I do remember that. Yeah. I will find that, and I'm going to post that on the website. Man. If so, if bonkers candy could come back, 
I would buy it. Is it? It's not around anymore. No, wow. it might be somewhere else, but it's certainly not oh. anywhere that I go shopping. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks I hope you had fun me. reliving your yeah. childhood. Yeah, it was fun. And uh, coming back to it, I always tell people I hope to have repeat guests. I have had repeat guests, so I hope yeah, you uh, totally. might be one of them. We have you back in in the future. But until that time, thank you. Thank you. And bye. Bye. And there you have it. That was Brandon Roberts. I love working with him. He is so much fun. Such a sweet guy. I really have nothing to add. Nothing about this show was unsaid. So I'm, I'm letting it stand for itself. And I'm going to shut up and let's get out of here. Next week, I'm going to be watching Season 4, Episode 5, called Different Drummer. And my very special guest is going to be actor-singer and one of my closest friends, Justin Schneier. Thank you again for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, video, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. Follow the show on social media. We're everywhere under the handle Face the Facts Pod. You can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash face the facts pod. And don't forget, go to your favorite podcatchers and subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs>